It's in Isaiah 39. We read Isaiah 38 for our Bible reading to give us some context, but we're going to be in Isaiah 39 this morning. I was just thinking of what all the Lord has done. When I came here over the years, I was told of the old days, the old days when this auditorium was full, the old days when we had to lease that land over there. We didn't own it then. We do now. By the way, to God be the glory, we own it, and we own it debt-free. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. But we leased that land to park because the parking lot here wasn't sufficient. And though we own the land now for many years, we didn't need it. And now we need it. It's a good thing. Auditorium isn't full, but it's getting there. That's a good thing. All of this is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes, and we're grateful for it. We're grateful for it. In chapter 38, we saw that Hezekiah fell ill and was informed by God through Isaiah that he would soon die. Now, this is different from a doctor coming in and saying, I don't think you have much time left. Isaiah was a reputable and reliable prophet. And so if he came in and said, Hezekiah, God said, set your house in order, you're going to die. It meant set your house in order, you're going to die. Now, Hezekiah was a good king. Now, I've heard some people try to make him morally superior to David. I don't see that, and you're going to see why I don't see that in a minute. But compared to many of the other kings of Judah and all of the other kings of the northern kingdom of Israel, he was a very, very good king. And he made some great decisions. And, and when you read just ahead of this, you see that, that he, he stood up against Sennacherib. And when Sennacherib and the Assyrians had surrounded Jerusalem and all hope was lost, Hezekiah took the letter that Sennacherib sent saying, I'm going to take you out. And he spread it out before the house of the Lord. And he basically said, Lord, this is your problem. you got to do this. We can't do this. And God supernaturally took care of it. Israel never had to fire a shot with an arrow. God took care of it and preserved his people as he promised he would. Even in captivity, he did. Sennacherib went home and his own sons killed him. God won, like he always does. And Hezekiah is shown to be a man of great faith. But I'm sorry to report to you that Hezekiah didn't finish well. If I were to condense all of my fears as a pastor and as a man down to one thing, it would be that I don't finish well. Now, if you know me, and if you know me a long time, you know I didn't start that great either. And the middle has been, eh. But I want to finish well. Think about it. Shakespeare wrote this about Julius Caesar when, 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 uh, when, at his funeral speech. The evil that men do live after them, but the good 
is often turred with their bones. What was he saying? People don't tend to remember the good things you did. But they'll remember the bad things, especially if that's how you finish. And yes, students, you do use Shakespeare in life. I just did. (laughs) We're still working on algebra. He was about to die. It appears as though, based upon the remedy that they used, he had some kind of an infection that resulted in a boil that was systemic and, and, and maybe even sepsis or something like that. And, and so they, uh, they, they prescribed something. It's interesting to me. God said he would live, but he still prescribed something. The Bible never says, don't take your medicine, y'all. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I run into people like that. Well, I'm just trusting the Lord, and I know I'm dying, but you know what? I'm not going to do anything. I'm just, okay, that's between you and the Lord, but don't, I never told you not to take your medicine. Okay? Because Isaiah, God says he's going to, uh, Hezekiah, God says he's going to live, but they still apply a remedy. And it appears it was some kind of systemic infection. You're going to die. He cries out to God, and he prays. In my opinion, maybe prays a little bit pridefully. <laughs> But he prays. And aren't you glad God answers imperfect prayers? Because he did. And God gave him another decade and a half. Now that said, I don't know how I would feel about that. I don't know if I knew to the year when I would die how I would feel about that. I kind of like not knowing. Because if I knew, I'd kind of be obsessed with that rather than living life. It's kind of like when I go on vacation. The last three days of vacation, I'm obsessed about having to go back. And I don't enjoy the last three days, you know. But he knew. He was given 15 more years. Now, Hezekiah is a cautionary tale to us. It really is. Because we all have something in common with Hezekiah. Now, this is going to sound kind of down in the dumps, but stay with me. Hezekiah was told by Isaiah, this is how much time you have for the rest of your life. Now, we don't know the number of years, or days for that matter, whether it's 15 years, 15 days, 50 years, we don't know. But every one of us right now, just like Hezekiah, are embarking on the rest of our lives. However long that is, from this point on, is the rest of our lives. And I want you to be reminded that time is the one commodity we can't replace. You lose all your money, conceivably, you can get it back. Even your health, you go into bad health, conceivably, you can get that reclaimed. But once time is spent, it's gone. It's gone. You say, well, Hezekiah got 15 more years. That's true, but he didn't get back the years before that. He got 15 added on. And once we spend time, it's gone. And we are right now embarking on the rest of our lives. And we don't know how long that is. For all I know, I hope this isn't the case, but I could get hit by a bus later today, and this is my last day on earth. I don't know. I just know that from here on, I'm living the rest of my life. Now, here's the question. 
And I've asked it of myself, just like I'm going to ask it of you. How will you spend the rest of your life? Hezekiah didn't do great. How will you spend the rest of your life? Isaiah 39, verse 1. At that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment, all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto king Hezekiah and said unto him, what said, the, what said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? And Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then said he, What have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, All that is in my house have they seen. There's nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the words, a word of the Lord of the hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house, and that which thy fathers have laid up in store until this day, shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah to Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, Moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. Gracious Father, help us now to glean exactly what you have for us from this message. If there's somebody here that's never trusted Christ, I pray they'd be saved. I pray that Christians would be helped and Jesus would be lifted up. Help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth. Please don't let me get in the way of your will for this hour. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Hezekiah had 15 years left, the rest of his life. And from what we just read, he didn't spend it very well. And it begs us to ask the question, how are we spending the rest of our lives? Number one. Will you spend it on wisdom or pride? Will you spend it on wisdom or pride? Hezekiah's actions with the Babylonian envoys lacked wisdom. Now, I'm going to tell you a little something about myself. You may think me wise. You may think me paranoid. When somebody I don't know comes to my home, I just automatically go on high alert especially if they're looking over my shoulder trying to see my home behind me. If somebody comes trying to sell something, so yeah, we're offering this, uh, and they're, I just assume they're scoping the place out. I had that happen one time, and it was pretty evident to me that they were scoping the place out. Evident. Say, here in Withful, Virginia? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, They even commented, wow, what a beautiful home you have. I said, yeah, the Lord's been very, very good to us. In fact, I'll tell you one thing that he's been very good to me is I have a pretty sizable gun collection. (laughs) 
Never saw him again. So those watching online that are scoping me out online, I have a sizable gun collection, and somebody's almost always there. My wife can shoot. Um, Anyway, but I'll tell you, Hezekiah should have known better. A king of his stature should have known better. Now, Babylon was not to the level of what we see under Nebuchadnezzar, but they were on the rise. They were still under the thumb of Assyria, but Assyria's on its way out, and Babylon's on its way in, and they are building, and they are building, and they are building, and it won't be long before they are full and clear an empire. And they've heard about Hezekiah. They've heard he was sick, and oh, Hezekiah, we've come to, oh, we're so glad you're feeling better. We brought you this casserole. They were Baptists. Hezekiah should have said, something's up. I have never heard from these guys before. And now all of a sudden, here they are. Something's going on here. So why didn't he have, why didn't he have wisdom? Because we see that pride, and his actions were motivated by pride. Pride pushes wisdom out of the way. You cannot be wise and prideful at the same time. You can't. They are mutually exclusive. His actions were motivated by pride. Why do I think that? See, Judah, and when it was a, and when it was a combined kingdom, Judah was great, rich, influential, but it was never empirical. It never sought to conquer other lands. It never expanded. It stayed from Dan to Beersheba from when God first gave it to them. They never went, you know, they never went to take over all of Egypt. They never went to take over all of, you know, Assyria. They never went to, you know, no, they stayed, they were great. When Solomon was king, maybe it was the, 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 the high watermark of their riches. And yes, they were known the world over, but they were not an empire. And now Hezekiah, he's got this 15 more years, and all of a sudden, He's being noticed by the known world. Well, somebody has come from Babylon to see me. I'm a player on the world stage now. How do you think I would feel if Miss Vicky or Miss Sandra knocked on my study door and said, such and such is here to see you. Well, I don't know them, but sure, show them in. And, Hi, I'm Pastor such and such, and I'm from this church over in, you know, let's just say Idaho. Oh, and we've heard about you. And we like how you preach, and we like what God's doing at your church. And I've traveled all the way from Idaho just to see how God's blessed this place and just to, just to glean from your wisdom. What do you think that's going to do to me? Well, you know, kind of Barney Fife moment. Well... <laughs> You know, well, all right, have a seat. How much time you got? You know, you see, Andy, I still don't know that you can be dogmatic about that, that Hezekiah's actions are based in pride. Listen to the, the companion account of this in Second Chronicles 32. Verse 24, in those days, Hezekiah was sick to the death and prayed unto the Lord, and he spake unto him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah, verse 25, rendered not again according to the benefit done unto him, for his heart was lifted 
What's that? That's pride. Verse 31, how be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him that he might know all that was in his heart. This was a pride issue. And when pride comes, wisdom leaves. And right now, I am speaking to a group of Christians here online and wherever else that if we're not careful in whatever days we have left, in the rest of our days, we are, we are succumbing to pride. And when we succumb to pride, wisdom can exist there. And so my question is this, are we spending our lives striving for wisdom or are we spending our lives trying to build up ourselves? Number two, how will you spend the rest of your life? Will you spend it on wisdom or will you spend it on pride? Will you spend it on godliness or will you spend it on vanity? You're in the Song of Solomon? Not Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. Same writer. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Emptiness, nothingness. And there's Christians all over this world that have filled their lives with nothing. And have spent way too much time doing it. Here's the thing about Hezekiah. If you go back and you read about him, he had done much to allow for revival in Jerusalem. He restored the temple. He restored temple worship. He cleaned everything out. He removed false altars throughout the kingdom. He reestablished the priesthood. He even went so far as to invite the northern kingdom, kingdom, Israel, which was adversarial to them. Hey, we'll let you come in, and we won't even mess with you. If you want to come and worship on the Passover at the temple, come on in. You're welcome. No king had done that before. I mean, he's doing some great things. He prayed in the power of God against Sennacherib. But in the last 15 years, what you notice is he turns his gaze from the heavens and from God to that which is carnal. He spends his last days accumulating wealth and riches, and that is where his pride lies. Of what was he most proud? Not his riches, I mean, not his faith, but his riches, it's interesting, in that passage in Second Chronicles 32, it says the princes of Babylon who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land. That goes beyond his recovery. They want to know why, why Judah is so great. And when they came and they asked him that, what did he do? Oh, well, let me show you the greatness of Judah. Look at my stuff. Look at my gold, look at my silver, look at my jewelry, look at my horses, look at my servant, look at my palace, look at me, man. But what he should have done was said, you want to know the greatness of Judah? That building right there sitting on that hill, once a year, the high priest walks in with a lamb and puts the blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant and God forgives our sin. It is Jehovah God that is the reason we are great. It is Jehovah God that the reason we have everything that we have but no he went instead of godliness he elevated vanity and I got news for you friend however much time we have left none of our vanity is going with us only the results of our godliness don't get me wrong 
I want to leave my kids some stuff. I got stuff that I want to pass down, and that's not wrong. Maybe it's that pocket knife. Maybe it's that grandpa's shotgun. Maybe it's, maybe it's, for me, my library. The truth is, my kids probably don't want it. But I'd like to think that my, my, my daughter's husband, I don't like to think about that part of it, but, but I would like to think that my daughter's husband might want it in his study if he's a preacher. And no, I'm not actively telling her to marry a preacher. You do it if God makes you. Otherwise, you run away from preacher boys. They're no good. Or maybe my son might want I don't know. If neither of them want it, then I guess y'all are stuck with it. But the idea of passing my books along, I like that. Jessica will take them. Yeah. But the reality of it is, one day all of that's going to burn up. The inheritance is going to burn up. The house is going to burn up. But what we pass along in our godliness, that sticks for eternity. How are we spending the rest of our lives? Are we spending it on godliness? Or are we spending it on vanity? And I got news for you, friend. Anything apart from God ultimately is vanity. It's just empty. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness... With contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. What is Paul saying to Timothy? Do not waste your time on vanity. Pursue godliness. That's all that really matters. The time that we have left, are you going to spend it on wisdom or pride? Are you going to spend it on godliness or vanity? And then are you going to spend it on self or others? We're back in Isaiah 39. This strikes me as the worst look for Hezekiah. You ever been in a situation and somebody does something, reacts to something or whatever, and you're like, man, that wasn't a good look for them. I've got a few of those. This wasn't a good look. This is not a good look for Hezekiah, especially considering what a godly man he was. Verse 5. Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, Shall they take away, they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, anybody, any of us can slip up and choose pride. That's not hard to do. It's our nature, in fact. And any of us can slip up and pursue vanity. That's in our nature. 
But I got to tell you, what Hezekiah replies in verse number 8, I made up a word just for this. What Hezekiah replied in verse number 8 reveals a special kind of, you ready, jerkitude. I can't think of anything more jerk-like he could say right here than this. Look at what he says in verse number 8. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah. Now, what, what was just said to him? All these treasures are going to be taken away, and your kids and your grandkids and their kids are going to be taken away, and they're going to suffer, and they're going to be mutilated, and they're going to be tortured, and all of these things are going to happen. And what does he say? What's the first word that he speaks? Good. Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. He said, moreover, for there shall be peace and truth in my days. He's told of the coming Babylon invasion. He's told of the suffering that his descendants will experience. And his response is basically this. Hey, as long as I don't have to deal with it. Now you see why I made up that word? What a jerk. I can't... I I know many of you in here that are grandparents that could not fathom feeling that way about your grandkids just so I don't have to deal with it. Fine. Linguistically, what he's expressing is relief that it's happening to them and not to him. You know who the worst king in the history of the kingdom of Judah was? Manasseh. Manasseh was his son. Could it maybe be that Manasseh was a little bit motivated to be the worst king because he knew his daddy felt this way about him? Something to think about. Honestly, would it bother you if your dad didn't care that you went through all that? Would me. And we look at this and we say, wow. That's low. What a jerk. Are you ready? I'm just going to let you know here comes the truth grenade. Buckle up. We do the same thing when we live for self instead of living to prepare the next generation. Let me say that again. We do the exact same thing when we live for self instead of trying to prepare the next generation. We would never say, I don't care what happens to my kids, to my grandkids, just so I don't have to deal with it. But let me tell you what we will do. We get them up to where they're 18 and then turn them loose and like, I made it. No, you haven't made it. I have a responsibility to my kids until I'm dead. My grandkids until I'm dead, but not just mine, yours. I'm not just pastoring you, and I'm not just pastoring your kids. I'm pastoring kids that aren't here yet. Because what I pour into you is going to determine on what they get from this church in the future. Any pastor that is just trying to run out the clock is not worth his calling. 
I want to know that Fellowship Baptist Church keeps going strong until Jesus comes back, however long that is. But we get so absorbed in self. And we hear this a lot. Me time. I need my me time. Now, I I concede that there are times where it is profitable to get away and recharge. But some parents take that to an extreme, and they abandon their kids to the culture so that they can have what they need. It's godless. The rest of my life must be spent spent in preparation for subsequent generations to be successful and victorious Christians. Otherwise, I am no better than Hezekiah. I won't take a stand on what's right in that area because it's too much hassle, it's too much trouble. I'll let the next guy deal with it. Mm Mm-mm. It is my hope that whenever God calls me away from this ministry, which I hope is well, I hope it's by the rapture. But short of that, I want to die the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. Now, depending on how you know sometimes things go, sometimes I want to die right now as the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I have no ambition to go anywhere. I have no ambition to, you know, to, to go to the next step. This, this is my home. This is where God has planted us. And, and, and I want to stay here as long as God will let me. And if that's to the end of my life, then praise the Lord. But here's what I want. I want to hand a church over to the next guy that has everything he needs to keep going. Moses handed a, a situation to Joshua. And Joshua was successful because of Moses. I'm not saying I want to do this till I'm 120. But that's what I want. These kids in this school, good night. I love them. I love Maddie. I do. I don't love her like her parents do. And I I can't love her to the level her parents do. God didn't orchestrate it that way. But I do love her. Strangely enough, you know who else I love? I love Maddie's kids. (laughs) They don't even exist yet. No, they don't. But can you love people you don't know? If we don't, why do we have a missions program? Right? And how I pastor Maddie is going to go a long way to how she leads her kids. But what do we do? We reach a certain point and we say, well, I'm clocking out. Clocking out. I did my part. And I get that, and I appreciate the labor that people have done over the years, and I get being tired and all of that. But can I tell you something? There's never a time you don't have a part There's always something you can do to enhance this ministry, but more than that, to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. We don't clock out. Bobby Robertson went to heaven a few years ago, pastored Gospel Light Baptist Church until he was, good night, he was 90, wasn't he? I used to tell people, I'm going to pastor until I'm 100, then I'm going to go into evangelism. 
Andy, what are you going to do if you make it to 70 and, and retire? I don't know, but it's going to involve Florida. <laughs> Maybe. God's going to make me stay till I'm 80 now. <laughs> Which would be fine, because I love it here. But I've got a certain amount of time left. And I don't know how long that is. But I have to ask myself the question. Am I spending it on me? Or am I investing it in him? I've done all I can with his parents. (laughs) Now I'm looking at him. It's easy for me to say that about Claire and Asher. But the fact is, I need to be investing in everybody. If Isaiah were to come to me and say, you're going to make it out okay, but next generation, your church is going to fall apart. You know what my response should be? No. No. What can I do to change this? What can I do to fix this? What can I take upon myself to keep that from happening? No, God forbid. No, no, no. But Hezekiah says, ah, good is the word of the Lord. Not my department. Hey, friends, if you're a Christian, do you know what your department is? It's souls. Anybody's got a soul as your department. Others. Others. You've heard the story of William Booth, I'm sure. I love William Booth. I don't agree with William Booth on some things theologically. And he's in heaven now. He knows I'm right. William Booth, of course, founded the Salvation Army. I have a special love for William Booth because my parents were Salvation Army officers. And I'm going to tell you something. You'd be hard-pressed to find a scandal in the Salvation Army. That's to be commended. And yes, they've, they've kind of slipped a little bit loose from their moorings a bit these days. Some of them have. Some of them have remained faithful, just like anybody. But I'm going to tell you, they went down to places nobody else would go to win people to Christ. And William Booth, they had their annual convention, and they gathered everybody, and all the highlight was to hear an address from General Booth. And he was not able to come. And so they said, well, let's get a message from him that we can, that we can bring to the convention. William Booth was notorious for being cheap. He didn't like to spend money. And so he sent a telegram with one word. We have a message from General Booth. This is exciting. They opened it up. It just says, others. One word. Others. So what? All right, Andy. What do I take from this? I got two paths from which to choose as I live out the rest of my life, however long that is. And the same is true of you. I can choose the path where I spend these days in pride Vanity and self. Or I can choose the path with God's help. I spend it in wisdom, 
godliness, and serving others. Now, here's my question for you. How will you spend the rest of your life? 